It's time now for the Lamb Macrolane Legal Show. Each show, heard every other Thursday at 1230, will feature different lawyers and their guests from the law firm of Lamb Macrolane. And now today's show host, Guy Donatelli and Mary Ellen Allen, are partners and co-chairs of the Employment Law Department at Lamb Macrolane Professional Corporation. They'll be discussing employment agreements, handbooks and policies, as well as separation agreements and other areas of employment law. And now here's Guy Donatelli and Mary Ellen Allen. Good afternoon. This is Mary Ellen Allen. I'm here with my law partner, Guy Donatelli, and we're attorneys at the law firm of Lamb Macrolane. Lamb Macrolane is located here in Westchester. We have about 35 attorneys, uh, and we also have offices located in Bryn Mawr as well as Philadelphia. Uh, Mary Ellen and I are uh, co-chairs of the uh, Lamb Macrolane Employment Law Group. Uh, and as uh, you'll see in the next half an hour, uh, the practice of employment law is a very broad area. Uh, we address things such as public and private employment, both for employers and employees. We do some HR consulting. Uh, we uh, review employment handbooks and employment agreements and policies, and also uh, uh, review th- uh Items that take us into court sometimes, Mary Ellen, such as? Such as discrimination, uh, statutory protections under the law, contractual rights, uh, unemployment, uh, restrictive covenants like non-competes, non-solicitation agreements, and of course, today's topic, separation agreements. That's right. So what is a separation agreement and we're sort of leapfrogging into a, uh, into the end of the employment relationship, but a Separation agreement is a is a document which formalizes uh, the termination of uh, an employee's employment uh, from his or her employer. Generally, it's a written document. It spells out um, all of the rights and obligations of the parties to that agreement, so that after the event, there's no lingering doubts as to what the relationship is or what the scope of authority is or whether and to what extent the employee is entitled to additional compensation uh, or whether the employer is obligated to do anything further in the relationship. Exactly, guys. So it lays out all of the post-employment obligations, both for the employer and the employee. So they usually arise, of course, when an employee is terminated involuntarily. Um It's not too common to see a severance agreement with an employee that's resigned, although that does come up in in some situations. But usually it's an employee that's being asked to leave the company, uh, and the employer and the employee would like to enter into an agreement for multiple reasons. Of course, on the employer side, they would like to see a full release of all claims, meaning that this employee cannot leave and then come back and sue their employer for some reason. Uh, and, of course, the employee would like to see additional compensation to help bridge the gap between termination and um, their next employment adventure. Mary Ellen makes, makes a good point when she uh, uh, suggests that these sorts of agreements arise out of a termination of an employee. And uh, whether and to what extent uh, a separation agreement uh, is a driving factor in ending the relationship. Depends a lot on whether 
you're an at-will employee or whether you have a, uh, a contract with the employer, you, you don't have a general right to severance. There's no law that says um, an employer must pay an employee severance in the event that that employee is terminated. Uh, now, there is an exception to that, and that's if you're an employer who signs uh, a contract with an employee for a specific period of time, uh, and that contract may contain post-termination rights or payments, uh, such as paying that employee through the end of the contractual period. So if you go to work for someone for two years and they terminate you without cause in year one, you can expect, uh, in my view, uh, to be able to negotiate a, a, a severance, which is at least a year because that's the remainder on your contract. But there's no general right outside of a contract or a specific policy that an employer may have uh, to pay severance. Now, that's a question, Guy, that I, I have received from employees. Um, I've received calls from employees who ask, under the law, what am I entitled to in terms of severance? Um, usually those are employees that have worked either in Europe in can- or in Canada because in various countries – Severance is required, and there is no such thing as at-will employment, where the employee can just be terminated without giving any type of severance payment. But here in the U.S., that's not the case, and particularly, obviously, we're talking about Pennsylvania. That's a great point, and uh, there are certain things that we advise both employees and employers to look for to see uh, whether uh, a severance arrangement needs to be addressed. Uh, So we'll give you an example. If you're an employer who has a policy that says we will pay severance in the amount of one week for every year that you're employed, an employee might be able to make the argument that that rises to the level of a contractual obligation and that 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 severance uh, must be uh, paid. There are also severance plans that certain employers have that an employee can take advantage of, and it's useful for both the employee and the employer to know what those rights are as they're approaching what I say that that Friday afternoon when that's when you usually hear as an as an employee uh, towards the end of the day on a Friday. Right. Exactly. So let's talk about, Guy, an actual severance agreement and, and what are the terms, you know, that we normally see included, uh, that we normally include. Uh, you and I have both drafted severance agreements on behalf of employers. We have reviewed um, and negotiated severance agreements on behalf of employees as well. So uh, you and I are both very familiar with what terms need to be included, of course, in the severance agreement. Um, and, and the first term that's usually included, of course, is compensation. Right. Um, and, and Mary Ellen, would you say that there is a, a recipe for these types of agreements? Yeah. I, so I, I. I, absolutely. I, there's essential terms that I want to see in any severance agreement. Um, there certainly can be other optional terms that are included at the request of either the employee or the employer. Um, but there are essential terms that need to be included. And you, and you hit the nail right on the head. The, 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 the primary reason, at least from an employee's perspective, is so that she, he or she knows exactly what he or she can expect going forward. And compensation is, I would say, that's number one. That's number one. Uh, so there, there is no standard. People will say to you, well, you should get them a week for every month or a week for every year or right. there, there's there's no such legal 
imperative. There's no such legal reason for that. There are rules of thumb, and there are experiences which we all have. Uh, employment relationships are changing, but just because you're a 20-year employee doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're going to get 20 weeks. I would argue that you should get more if I was representing the employee. However, you want to make sure that that employment agreement identifies how much you're going to be paid going forward, whether it's going to be paid during uh, uh, the regular paycheck intervals. In other words, is it going to be every two weeks or every month for that period of time, or whether you're going to get a lump sum payment. So item number one is identify how much you're going to receive as compensation under the uh, severance agreement. And I say compensation because we'll talk a little later uh, about what value to the employer paying a severance agreement gives the employer, and we'll, we'll get there. But you're actually, as an employee, giving up some very significant rights. So when you pick up uh, your severance agreement, you want to make sure uh, that you're being adequately compensated for what you're giving up. And, and of course, you know, if a push comes to shove and the severance agreement ends up in a legal battle in court, uh, any court is going to want to see that the employee received adequate compensation uh, for the release, for giving up those rights. There has to be adequate compensation, of course, for the employee. And as we were just talking about, what is adequate ties into how long have you, have you been there, what is your regular salary, um, you know, what is your position with the company? And what are the terms, of course, of the of the termination, meaning what was the reason for the termination? All of that will factor into the amount that's offered by an employer for severance. Unless, of course, there's one of those plans we talked about earlier, right. which lays it all out. Or if the employee had an employment agreement up front at the beginning, which said, if you're terminated for X reasons, this is the amount of severance that you'll receive. And, and let's... Let's talk about perhaps something we've, we've talked over, the reason for the termination. If, if you are an employee, uh, you're going to want to make sure that the uh, language of the uh, severance agreement is, is, is neutral. Neutral. So that, and the employer, I would imagine, uh, and when we represent employers, we, we, uh, look for this as well. You want, you want a neutral reason that the parties have to decided, uh, to separate and leave it at that. There's no reason to suggest that it's a four-cause termination or a quit or a resignation because that might have uh, an impact down the road when the employer, when the employee uh, applies for uh, unemployment compensation because that's got to be factored in at some point. Um, so when you are looking at your severance agreement, keep in mind why am I leaving? Why is the relationship uh, why is the relationship ending? And I agree with you, guy. It should be neutral. There's no reason to include the reasons for termination in an employment in a severance agreement in order to make it valid. It's just not an essential term. Now, closely related to compensation, you know your 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 pay. Uh, all of us have very similar benefits when it comes to uh, our employment. We have uh, medical benefits, health benefits. We have uh, vacation rights, accrued vacation. Some of us uh, will spend money for our employer, and we expect to be reimbursed for that. Uh, and all of those items need to be factored into the agreement as well. So if you're getting a six-month 
uh, severance arrangement as far as compensation is concerned, you want to marry that, if you can, uh, with the amount of time that your health benefits are going to uh, uh, remain in effect. Right. So they may not be able to stay on the company plan, so to speak. Um, That's when COBRA benefits would kick in. Um, But it's very common to see in a severance agreement the employer reimburse that employee or just pay up front the costs associated with those COBRA benefits. Correct. And and COBRA benefits are those benefits uh, that are mandated uh, uh, that allow you to pay a premium. This is going to be a very general overview, allow you to pay a premium to remain on the group plan that your employer has by paying that portion of the premium that provides coverage for you. So let's say that's $900 a month. Uh, part of the severance arrangement might be a, a provision which grosses up a payment so that when you pay that $900, uh, it is part of uh, the compensation you're receiving, but it allows you to maintain your 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 health benefits, which is particularly important, I think, for sometimes almost more important, I think. Um, I agree. I think sometimes employees, they, you know, they'll forego some of the actual compensation um, in exchange for additional coverage. That's right. Or payment for additional coverage. And don't forget, you know, accrued vacation. I mean, there's my experience is, is that folks work real hard and uh, sometimes they neglect to take their uh, time off. Uh, conscientious employees, uh, and you're entitled to that. So make sure there's a specific provision in there which says, uh, I'm, I've got a crude vacation of so many weeks, and I'd like to be paid for that as well. Right. And of course, the exception being that if an employer has, an, has a policy that says, we don't pay that upon termination for any reason, then that would be the exception. But I, I completely agree, Guy. That's something that needs to be addressed um, when an employee and an employer are negotiating a severance agreement. I have found that um, it has been my experience that um, employers uh, want to do the right thing when it comes to these types of arrangements because it provides them certainty. And uh, I think the next topic that we're going to discuss is going to be what the re- what the employer receives uh, in um, uh, in exchange for uh, uh, compensating. Uh, the employee under the severance arrangement. Good afternoon, and now we're back. So when we left off, we were just about to start the topic of the release. So the release is uh, a material term in any severance agreement, and it's what is probably most important to the employer, and it's the most important that an employee completely understand and appreciate what is in a release, because a release, a general release, uh, is very broad, and it is usually a general release that is included in a severance agreement. Uh, and the employee may be giving up significant rights. Um, usually in any severance agreement, an employee is agreeing, I do not have a claim against the employer for any reason, discrimination or otherwise. Uh, and if I do, I'm willing to give up the right to pursue that uh, in exchange for the compensation that I'm receiving in the severance agreement. So it's very important that an employee take the time to go through that portion of the severance agreement with his or her attorney uh, because it has wide-ranging effects. That's right. And, and this is, this is uh, the way the deal is struck. Uh, an employer 
is is paying the employee uh, additional compensation, not their last two weeks. You know, the, some employee some employ, employers pay at the end of uh, two week period. This is for consists is consideration. This is payment for something, and what he's getting, what she's getting, is some certainty that the employee is not going to sue the company or the employer, uh, and the release provides uh, that protection to the employer. That's part of the negotiation, because if you believe as an employee that you have been subjected to a wrong in some way, whether it's uh, a constitutionally protected right uh, or some other form of uh, bad treatment, that you may have a cause of action for, you may go see a lawyer about that, you're going to want to negotiate hard. And the employer is going to want to make sure that that release is airtight so that when you ultimately sign on the dotted line, both of the parties go on their way with a clear understanding of of, uh, of, of, what's, of what's in store for both of them. Um, I, sometimes the amount of the severance payment is dependent on the strength of a perceived claim that an employee might have against an employer. And that's where the attorney comes in. Um, you know, a lot of attorneys will see you and will listen to you without cost, without charge, uh, and give you some advice as to whether you have a claim, whether you have a strong negotiating position, or whether you don't. And usually these severance agreements, it has been my experience, uh, are uh, ones that are negotiated in a context where older workers lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and this may be hard to hear for someone my I'm 60, but an older worker is somebody who's 40 years or older. And you have rights under uh, federal law if you're terminated, if you're 40 years old. And you're giving those up if you sign one of these severance arrangements. So you want to make sure that you explore why you're being released and what evidence can you give the lawyer to establish a stronger negotiating position. Right, which um, ties into um, the amount of time an employee has to consider a release. There are requirements there. In order to make that release effective, the employee has to be given uh, an adequate amount of time to review it. Now, under uh, for older workers, like you were just talking about, the requirement is 21 days. So from the time an employee is handed a severance agreement until the day they have to s- sign it and bring it back, the period is 21 days. Now, an employee can waive that. They don't have to wait that long. A lot of employees do want to waive that, so the sooner they sign the agreement, then the sooner the severance payments will start. Um, But after that period, once they sign, there's also a seven-day revocation period. Um, The employee has seven days to change his or her mind and say, you know what, I've decided I don't want to go through with this severance agreement. I'm not giving up my rights and and therefore i will not i understand i won't receive the payments uh and that 7 day period uh that the employee has to change his or her mind uh cannot be waived and so the agreement is not effective until the 8th day after that revocation period ends and that may sound <clears throat> like a lot of jargon but you have to understand the uh context in which that law was passed before that law was passed, uh, providers for a household would be brought into a room. Uh, they would be given an agreement, 
that person would be told to sign it, and if he or she didn't sign it, they wouldn't get anything. And the first thing in that person's mind is, how am I going to make my mortgage payment? How am I going to feed my kids? So they sign it, and they take a lot less than they would have otherwise been entitled to. And the law said, no, we have to provide protection from those people so they're not ambushed mm -hmm. on a Friday afternoon with a, a disadvantageous agreement. So uh, the federal law will protect those uh, folks uh, who are older workers and who may believe that they're being terminated or passed over uh, because, of, uh, because of their age. So guy, another term that we should touch on uh, today, uh, well, two terms really, and a lot of times they're, they're melded into one paragraph, is confidentiality and non-disparagement. So confidentiality um, will apply to the agreement itself. Um, most employers and, and employees will want to see the terms of the agreement be kept confidential. Uh, the employer has an interest in doing that. Uh, for a number of reasons, one of which is if there's no set amount of severance that's offered to employees, they don't want other employees to know what amount that employer has come up with for this particular employee, because then the next employee who's terminated will walk in and say, well, I know so-and-so got this amount. Why don't I get that amount as Correct. well? And if they're case-by-case, fact-specific, that's why the employer would want to keep that the terms of the severance agreement, of course, confidential. Um, and the other piece of that is the non-disparagement clause. Uh, Which I've, quite frankly, I, and I'll be honest with everyone out there, I've often wondered what non-disparagement is. The, the clause usually says something like, neither party will disparage the other. Right. Well. What does that mean exactly? What does that mean exactly? Push comes to shove and someone's accusing so, the other the other party of of disparaging them. What does that mean? I, I try to define it when I'm doing severance agreements. You know, anything that would damage the professional reputation or could damage the professional reputation of either the employer or the employee, you know, something along those lines to give it a little bit more clarification. And that's good advice. What you'll see in a lot of cases, and I know that Mary Ellen and I do this, is, you know, the purpose, again, of this agreement is to put up a period at the end of the employment relationship. It's over. Um, so you will script. Um, I often advise or try to negotiate with other lawyers uh, a, a joint statement mm -hmm. um, that well. so that we don't have to worry about tripping over uh, an inadvertent comment. I, you know, my employer and I, after 20 years, decided to part company and I'm looking forward to my next adventure, something like that. And with respect to non-disparagement, I just say, if you can't say something nice, <laughs> Don't say anything. Right. And, and uh, you know, often often it's difficult, and this is where counseling with attorneys can help and, and uh, with your spouse, because a lot of times, almost in every instance, the, the uh, language allows you to discuss your severance contract with your lawyer, with your accountant, right. with your financial planner, and with your, your spouse. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I know I've been with Lamar, Mary Ellen and I have been partners for 20 years. Um, uh, you know, we we will we will talk after hours, and, and so you just want to counsel, and you just want to be aware that if you can't say something nice, right, uh, you shouldn't say anything at all. I completely agree. Better to err on the side of caution for for both parties. Like you said, it's over. It's Everyone over. should part ways, go their separate ways. And As I like to say, never darken my doorway again. Right. <laughs> 
Um, so, Guy, the, the next part of a severance agreement that is included sometimes and sometimes it's not are, are restrictive covenants. And by that, I mean a non-competition agreement or a non-solicitation provision. So sometimes those are the, the employee is already subject to those. They've signed something at the beginning of their employment, which says they won't solicit clients for a certain period of time if they leave, or they won't go to a, a competing company for a certain period of time. And the severance agreement should address, okay, is that agreement going to remain in effect? Is the employee still going to be bound by those restrictive covenants? Or is the employer willing to waive those? And that can become part of the negotiation. That's right. And that's where language, that's where language is, is very important. Um, if you sign a severance agreement and there's a clause in it that says this agreement memorializes uh, all agreements between the parties and supersedes all prior agreements, and you're the employer, and you have a non-compete with that employee, you're giving up a very valuable right. Uh, and if you're an employee that has a prior contract uh, with the employer that provides you certain benefits that are not concluded, not included in the severance arrangement, you're going to lose, lose those unless you specifically cull them out and draft them into that agreement. So um, it's important to understand your work history, the, the documents that you signed, and their significance. Mm-hmm. Now, I will I will say that you 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 never you you never you never uh, uh, by signing a severance arrangement would give up your rights under a defined benefits pension plan like a four hundred one k or something like that because those are. Those are done through through a, a different mechanism. Um, but if you're an employee with an ESOP, which is a, an employee stock option plan, and that is contractually based, and you got you want to make sure that you're not inadvertently um, giving that up by signing by signing a, a waiver or a release, because those releases are fairly uh, fairly broad. I will also say uh, that. A lot of my clients say, will I be able to um, collect unemployment compensation? Or some of my other clients would say a different way, what happens if the employer, employee files for unemployment comp? And I view severance arrangements and uh, unemployment compensation to be separate. Um, I don't believe that an employee can uh, give up his or her right to unemployment compensation through a severance arrangement. I think it's got to be a lot more um, intricate than that. Exactly. So, I mean, it's the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the unemployment comp agency, of course, that makes the determination whether or not an employee is uh, eligible for unemployment compensation benefits. Um, usually, uh, severance payments will act as a set-off. There is a, a formula uh, that the unemployment comp agency uses um, so the severance agreement will maybe affect the amounts or when unemployment comp benefits can start, but that's not something that um, an employee waives in the severance agreement. I have seen severance agreements where an employer will agree not to oppose an employee's request for unemployment compensation, uh, and of course that agreement makes it clear that it's the unemployment comp agency that makes that determination, not the employer, but the employer can agree, I, I'm not going to do anything or fill out, fill out the form in such a way that would oppose uh, your request for, for, un, for unemployment compensation. Well, well said. Uh, let, let's, 
Mary Ellen, if we can, there are there are random concepts that arise, and I'm just we'll, we'll go to a light. I don't want to call, we'll, but we'll go to a lightning round. Um, with all due respect to Jim Cramer, um, <laughs> what about references? And we've talked about non-disparagement clauses, mm-hmm. but how would employers and employees ad- approach uh, a reference? Because in most of these situations, we're not talking about early retirement. We're talking about a termination where the employee wants to go into back into the workforce, and that's really the goal. How would you how, how would you advise? Uh, that references be handled. I, I like to see neutral references, and I think that's to the benefit of both the employee and then the employer. Um, and by neutral reference guy, I mean uh, just to verify the dates of the employment, the position that was held, um, and and basically that's it. Um, so nothing more than a, than a neutral reference. How about clearing out your desk and turning in the keys? Turning in the keys is essential, and it needs to be done immediately. Uh, don't hold on. To, I, employees should not hold on to any of the employer's property. It all goes back to the employer. So I think we're just about out of time. Uh, I hope that everyone has enjoyed the show. This is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be legal advice. But if you do need legal advice, uh, Lam Macrolane is at 610-430-8000. And our website is lammackerlane.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to the Lamb Mackerlane Legal Show, heard every other Thursday at 1230 on WCHE 1520, the talk of Chester County.